Today, we're diving into the case of Helicrafts, a shocking murder that takes place in a small Connecticut town that's supposed to be a haven from the chaos of the outside world. It's November 1986. Hella's disappearance sets off a chain of events that unravels a gruesome crime. The discovery of her dismembered body, the bizarre evidence found at the scene, and the arrest of her husband, Richard Crafts, is known in true crime lore as the Woodchipper Murder. This is the case that inspired that unforgettable scene in the movie Fargo. Let's recap. Hey, I'm Amy, and I just wanted to take a quick moment before we get started to say thank you so much for watching True Crime Recaps. Whether you're a regular here or a new friend, we appreciate your support, and we are so grateful for the chance to hang out with you. I know, there are a lot of good options out there for true crime, and we are super, super honored that you have chosen to come here and get all the crime in half the time with us. Thanks again. Now, enough feelings. Let's get on with the story. In November 1986, a cold front dropped a massive blanket of thick, wet snow across New England. Hundreds of thousands of people lost power, including the Crafts family in Newtown, Connecticut. Richard Crafts woke his live-in nanny, Don Thomas, up early, 6 a.m., and told her to get the kids together. They weren't about to freeze to death in their home. They were going to go to his sister's house since she still had power. But where was Mrs. Crafts? Hella was a flight attendant, and she had just gotten home from Germany the night before. So maybe she was sleeping in after the long flight. But no, Richard said that she had already left and they'd meet up with her later. Without further question, Don and the kids got in Richard's car and he drove them to his sister's place about 20 miles south. But Hella wasn't there, which was strange since she supposedly left before them. So did she have car trouble somewhere? I mean, the roads are covered with sheets of ice from the storm. So did she get in an accident? But Richard didn't seem all that concerned about the whereabouts of his wife. He dropped Don and the kids off at his sister's and left. Hours passed and Hella still hadn't shown up. Richard returned around 7 p.m. and Don asked where Mrs. Crafts was, but Richard said he didn't know. He hadn't seen her since she left really early that morning. The next day, there's still no sign of Hella. When Don asked Richard about it again, he all of a sudden had news to share. Hella had flown home to Denmark to be with her sick mother, he said. Don lived in the Crafts' house. She'd seen Hella the night before. So when did the woman find the time to fly to Denmark? Why didn't she say anything? Was there even an airline operating during this big snowstorm? I mean, Richard's story was not adding up. Then Don noticed something strange in the master bedroom. Pieces of the carpet were missing, like someone had cut them out with a knife. When she asked what happened, Richard said that he'd spilled kerosene on the rug and he had to cut the stains out. Oh, Don wasn't the only person who suspected that something was up. Hella had a secret. She had hired a private investigator, Keith Mayo, to follow Richard around and get proof that he was cheating on her. Because Keith had been watching Richard for the last few months, months, he knew the Crafts family up and down. He knew their schedules, their habits, and all of their marital issues. He also knew all of Hella's friends, and he knew that Hella had told them 
If anything happens to me, don't assume it was an accident. Hella grew up in a small village in northern Denmark. She was a popular girl who loved school more than all the other kids. She was especially good at languages, though her love of culture drew Hella toward the travel industry. In the 1960s, flight attendants were some of the most beautiful women in the world. Pilots were cooler than rock stars, and air travel was all the raves. And Hella fit right in. Though she landed a gig working for Pan Am Airways out of Copenhagen. Hundreds applied for the job, but only a handful were picked. Hella's love of languages, her big smile, her natural beauty, and some previous experience she had as a flight attendant, well, she was a shoe-in. She was exactly what they were looking for. The new girls flew to Miami to train and live in a co-ed motel with other airline employees. Can you imagine that scene? The pilots and flight attendants intermingled like college kids at a frat party. It was at that motel in 1969, the summer of love, when a 21-year-old Hella first spotted an alluring young pilot named Richard Crafts. He was a scruffy 31-year-old who didn't really fit the pilot mold. While most pilots were these chiseled, well-kept, clean-cut guys, Richard was a little rough around the edges. But his edge made him extra charming to the ladies. He always had a woman hanging off of his arm. In fact, he was already engaged when he met Hella. And that girl really missed a bullet. At first, their relationship was just a fling. Hella didn't mind being the other woman. Richard charmed her with stories about being in the CIA, working as a combat pilot in East Asia. The man loved exaggerating and telling a sort of half-truths. He joined the Marines in the mid-50s, and he fell in love with aviation. He worked his way up to flying planes for Air America, which is, you know, a not-so-secret part of the CIA. He allegedly flew several missions over Southeast Asia in the early 60s. Of course, the way that Richard tells it, he's practically James Bond, and the pretty young flight attendants ate it up. And Hella is no exception. She falls hard for Richard's charms. They kept seeing each other on and off through the early 70s, but it's not all hearts and chocolates. They fought all the time, sometimes in public, though Hella's friends didn't really get it. I mean, the pretty blonde could have had any man she wanted. She could have been with a Kennedy. Why was she so attracted to Richard Crafts? But the heart wants what it wants, and in the fall of 1975, Hella got pregnant with their first child. And Richard agreed to marry her, and they settled down in the affluent town of Newtown, Connecticut. While her friends still did not get her relationship with Richard, they were happy that Hella was at least doing well financially because Richard was making a great living as a pilot and Hella was an in-demand flight attendant. Together, they brought in more than $125,000 a year, which is like basically $700,000 today. Though all that money could buy anything that they wanted, you know, within reason. But Richard hoarded it for himself. He took complete control of the family's finances and used the money to buy guns. Lots and lots of guns. The craft's basement looked more like a doomsday bunker. Revolvers, magnums, high-profiled rifles, shotguns, you name it, he had it. And not just guns. He also collected semi-automatic weapons, hand grenades, crossbows, thousands of rounds of ammunition. The man could have armed a small platoon if he wanted to. Instead, he spent hours and hours down in his basement admiring and polishing his collection. If there was a gun show within 100 miles, you can bet that Richard was there. He also liked to spend money on heavy machinery. Their yard looked more like an abandoned farm. It was covered in rusted tractors, mowers, and other landscaping equipment. He even bought a $25,000 backhoe that he never used. Basically, the man was setting their money on fire, buying all sorts of frivolous things. Meanwhile, Hella's salary had to stretch to cover the family expenses. You know, food, bills, childcare, shelter, and medical care. 
because in 1984, Richard was diagnosed with colon cancer. Doctors didn't like his chances for survival, but with his wife's loving care and chemotherapy, he managed to beat the odds and survive. While Hella was struggling to take all the work she could get just to support them, Richard decided to use his new lease on life to explore a career in law enforcement. So he signed up to be a volunteer police officer with the Newtown PD. He took the job very seriously. He spent hours down at the station hanging around in full uniform, even when he wasn't supposed to be on duty. If he was trying to dress for the job he wanted, it worked. The Southbury Police Department hired him to be a part-time cop for around $7 an hour. It was pennies compared to his pilot salary, but Richard liked it. The badge went straight to his head. He'd always been controlling, but now he was downright aggressive, and in his behavior started to become erratic. Bruises started to appear on Hella's face. Her friends begged her to go to the police, but Hella shrugged them off with the heartbreaking slip-and-fall excuse every time. Things got worse after their third child was born. Richard began disappearing for days. He'd just pack his bags and leave without saying a word. Now, Hella knew damn well he was cheating on her. He had been since the day they got married. She put up with it for the children's sake, but the violence at home was the final straw. She spoke with a divorce lawyer and hired Keith Mayo, a former Connecticut police officer, to follow Richard and help her get proof that he was cheating. Now, in Connecticut, you don't have to have proof of faults like adultery to get a divorce, but the court would take something like that into consideration when they look at custody, child support, dividing up assets, and Hella wasn't going to have any trouble getting what she needed. Richard was sleeping with not one, but at least two other flight attendants. Hella wanted out. She could not spend another winter with Richard, and she didn't. A few days had passed since Connecticut was covered in this thick sheet of snow. It had also been a few days since anyone had seen Hella Crafts. One town over, a local man named Joe Hine was in charge of salting and plowing the streets. He and some other public workers hadn't stopped since the storm passed. So it's around 3.30 a.m. on November 21st, 1986, when Joe notices something strange near Lake Zor. Up ahead, he sees a U-Haul with an industrial-grade wood chipper attached to the back. It's pulled over on the side of the road and a man is standing by the driver's side door. The guy motions him to drive by so Joe maneuvers around and he keeps going. But about two hours later, Joe has now turned around and he's making his way back when he passes the U-Haul again. The back is open this time but the man is nowhere in sight and Joe notices wood chips in the truck and near the roadside. But who the hell chops wood at 5 a.m. after a snowstorm? Murderers. Murderers do. Well, Hella's friends worried for her. Her private investigator was worried for her. The Newtown police asked Richard where his wife was, but they didn't seem too worried for her. Richard was one of them. If he says he doesn't know where Hella is, then he doesn't know where Hella is. It's probably nothing anyway. I mean, they found Hella's car in the Pan Am employee parking lot at Kennedy Airport. Richard's story about her flying to Denmark, that was starting to make some sense. But things changed over the next few days. Many of Hella's friends and extended family told police the same story. She would never abandon her children. She would never fly off to Denmark without telling anybody. And they told Newtown cops about Richard's affairs and the abuse. And the cops also learned about all the different excuses that Richard gave for Hella's disappearance. He told one neighbor she was in Germany. He told another she was in the Canary Islands. And on November 29th, her friend decided to get to the bottom of it. And she managed to get 
get a hold of Hella's mother in Denmark. Now, Hella's mom was fine. She wasn't sick, and she hadn't seen her daughter in months. Now, that was it. The Newtown police could not let this slide. They called Richard in for a lie detector, and he passed. But... There's something about a pilot who wanted to play part-time cop that didn't sit right with some of the detectives. So they called Richard back in for more questions. He had an answer for everything. He sounded like a seasoned politician. He never outright lied. He just led them in circles with a bunch of half-truths. They ended the interview by asking if Hella had gotten any mail since she'd been gone. And Richard said no. Public outrage forced the DA's hand. He transferred the case to the state police. Maybe they could find the missing link. Well, the stateies dug into Richard's credit card purchases around the time Hella disappeared. On November 17th, he bought a brand new $375 freezer. Then on November 20th, he rented a piece of heavy machinery for $900. Unfortunately, the credit card statement didn't say what he rented, only where he got it, Darien Rentals. The odd purchases were enough to get a search warrant for Richard's home. He'd taken his kids to Florida for the holidays. It was the perfect time to tear the house apart. But when the forensic team arrived, they found the Crafts home in complete disarray. It looked like a tornado had come through. There were dirty dishes and clothes everywhere. They found Richard's arsenal of weapons. He could have used any one of them to kill Hella. Dr. Lee did a luminol test around the house, and he found blood in more than one spot. It was O-positive, the same as Hella's. Another team followed up on the equipment rental. It was a wood chipper. Richard picked it up on November 20th and brought it back two days later. Detectives began to think the unimaginable. Did Richard kill his wife and send her body through a wood chipper? If he did... Her remains were likely buried in the snowstorm, but they figured one of the plows could have come by and moved them all around town. Maybe one of the plow drivers would know something more. So when they questioned them, they found their way to Joseph Heim. And he told detectives about the U-Haul and wood chipper he saw by Lake Zor. He remembered it well, and he took them to the exact location he'd seen it. And sure enough, there was still a pile of wood clippings near the side of the road where he'd seen it. Detectives sifted through looking for anything that might not belong. And just as they were starting to lose feeling in their fingertips from the cold, one of them found a piece of mail. Through the tiny cellophane window on the envelope, he could see what was left of the address. Miss Hella Crafts, Newtown, Connecticut. Lake Zor was crawling with police and forensics within the hour. As they carefully searched the area, they found more pieces of mail addressed to Hella. Along with her mail, they found tiny pieces of cloth, plastic, and blonde hair. They also found 69 slivers of human bone, five droplets of blood, two teeth, a piece of human skull, three ounces of tissue, and a few pieces of her fingernails. They also found a chainsaw at the bottom of the lake, but most importantly, they had found helicrafts. The evidence painted a horrifying picture of how Richard killed his wife, and it all began when the power went out. Hella was in the bedroom when Richard came up from behind and bludgeoned her to death. He carried her body to the basement and stuffed her in his brand new freezer. Then he rallied Don and the kids and drove them to his sister's house 20 miles away. He came back and waited for his wife's body to freeze so that he could easily use his chainsaw to 
to cut her into tiny pieces. He then wrapped those pieces in plastic and put them back in the freezer. And then he waited. Then a couple of nights later in the middle of the night, Richard drove that wood chipper out to Lake Zor and fed Hella's body through it piece by piece. He aimed the other end toward the lake and watched bits of his wife fly. Richard wasn't lying when he said he didn't know where Hella was. That's how he passed the lie detector. Because she was in a million pieces, she could have been anywhere. He sincerely did not know where she was. Before fleeing the scene, he sent a bunch of wood through the chipper to clean it or make it look normal. If anyone asked, he was just a guy cutting some wood. He was arrested in January 1987, but there was still a massive monkey wrench in the process. The police had bits and pieces, but not enough to call it a body. Historically, it's hard to convict someone of murder without a physical body. Instead, they had to rely on the expert opinion of several dentists who examined the pieces of teeth they recovered from Lake Zor. In their expert opinions, those teeth belonged to Hella Crafts. Was it enough to call it a body? That was going to be up to the jury. The trial lasted 53 grueling days. Lawyers brought 650 pieces of evidence to the table and questioned 100 witnesses. They had Richard dead to rights, but one member of the jury held out. According to the other jurors, it was like reasoning with a child. This one holdout refused to join the others in a guilty verdict. They argued for two weeks until the judge finally declared a mistrial. So did Richard just get away with murdering his wife and sending her body through a wood chipper? Don't worry, he did not get off that easy. He spent about 15 minutes as a free man, and the next trial was a carbon copy of the first. Only this time, the jury reached a unanimous decision in eight hours. In January 1990, Richard was found guilty of first-degree murder and sent off to prison. It was the first murder conviction in Connecticut history without a body, setting a precedent for murderers to come. But Richard didn't stay behind bars for life. Richard was released at the age of 82 in 2020. Today, he is a free man. So, scary. And that's your recap. Thanks for hanging out with us today. If you like getting all the crime in half the time, go ahead and tap that subscribe button so you never miss a story. But don't go away. Catch up on more recaps right here, right now. Until next time, take care.